Hey everyone, quick announcement. Each week I try to bring you an episode to the show that offers something for everyone. It might be a training tip, insight into a world or, or national champion's life and how they got to where they are, or it might just be talking sports, the shooting sports in particular, uh, for entertainment purposes. At the bottom of each of my episodes, you will find a Koji link to my website where you can find sponsors, links to guests, things of that nature. Currently, there are three sponsors, Laser App, Gun Butter Lubrication, and now Aim Size Products. I will be putting out um, a specific episode about Aim Size and their products. But by using the links provided, you indirectly support the podcast without any additional cost to you. As a matter of fact, you typically save money by following those links. They'll give you a discount and then they'll send a little bit my way just to kind of help with the podcast. The discount link for Hoist is included. However, I don't, I don't get anything from Hoist, but I believe in their product and I feel it's a hydration product for you, which I highly recommend, especially shooting matches in the summertime where it's hot and humid. Now, if you don't use any of the products listed, there is still a way to support the podcast by using the tip button on the Koji link. It surely isn't required. None of this is required, but it is greatly appreciated. I'm trying to make the podcast as professional as possible, which does take time, a lot of time, and money. You can use the link to email me as well, whether you have suggestions for guests or whatever, comments, feedback. Regardless of whether you use a sponsor link or not, I still hope you enjoy the show. Please like it, share it, and give it a five-star rating if you're so inclined. Thanks. All right, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of the Casual Shooters Podcast. This episode is with Vince Lucchetti. Mm -hmm. Vince, let me scroll back up here. He's a former Western Pennsylvania section coordinator, and he's running for Area 8 director. So join me in welcoming to the show, Vince Lucchetti. How you doing, Vince? I'm doing fine, David. Yourself? Good. I'm doing well. I'm glad you could join us, and I'm glad we could do this. Um, I'm not going to run a normal podcast episode where I hit you with the icebreaker stuff and, and all of that. You mean We're after gonna... I prepared and got all these <laughs> answers to your questions? Well, if you did, then we'll hit them. <laughs> all right, you you asked for it. What's your favorite movie? Favorite movie, Dune, right now. Oh, okay. There's an older one. Not the old one, but the, the current one. Oh, you like the newer one? Oh, my God, yeah. It captures the flavor of the book, which is my favorite book, by the way. One of my favorite books. Is it, how did you see the original then? Oh, yes. The David Lynch one years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like in the 80s. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so this one you think captures the book better than the original? Absolutely. The flavor, the darkness of it, the starkness of Arrakis, and what it was that um, the Atreides faced whenever they went there. I, I, to me, it just was leagues above what David Lynch did all those years ago. And, and oh. well, David felt the need to change things so that you didn't have as much of the mystique that went behind things. Um, the training that 
Lady Jessica and Paul had in the first movie, they used this voice thing. You know, they'd make noise and that was about it. This one captured the voice. It captured the flavor of the Benny Gesserit and um, and House Harkonnen and all the rest of the stuff. It 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 fit my vision of what that book was when I read it when it first came out and the dozens of times I've read it since then. Oh, so you haven't just read the book once. I mean, you basically memorized it by now. The book and audio books, I get, I get something more from it each and every time I read it. That makes so, sense. But that's just me. Now, in the original, wasn't Sting in that? Sting played um, Fade Rautha, the Harkonnen okay. um, heir apparent. Okay, that's what I thought. All right, now you said, you said Dune is one of your favorite books. Yes. G give me another one. Um, I'm a big Heinlein fan, Stranger in a Strange Land, Time Enough for Love, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, all those that I grew up on the Heinlein juveniles. And okay. so I have just followed him as an author for, oh my God, well, since the 60s. Um, and his work talks to me. You know, I find something okay. like that. I find something new in it each and every time. Uh, the person I was when I read Stranger in a Strange Land in the 70s, I'm a totally different person now, and I get different things from the book than what I got back then. And that's what I enjoy about going back to some of the old favorites is getting that new interpretation and reading it through older eyes and experience. Okay. Uh, and I can see that because, I mean, at different phases of your life, different things speak to you. So you're going to oh, pick absolutely. up on things. None of us, yeah. even as, as shooters, we're not the same shooters that we were when we first started, not just from a skill perspective, but just from our understanding of the game, our understanding of the rules and, and everything else. We've matured and we've become, we've become better at it, hopefully. Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully <laughs> we've all gotten better than when we first started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes we go on that downward spiral and yeah, you know it happens right all right so favorite gun and caliber gun and caliber glock nine millimeter glock 34 okay did you grow up i guess i mean you were at that age where you were an adult when glocks first hit the market so was that like your first no, foray no, my first foray, at least in pistols and in playing this game, was a uh, uh, SIG 226, 9mm. I ran my first half year's worth of matches with that gun um, and found that it was just too big for my hands. So, mm. shopped around a little bit and played with a Glock, and that's all I've been running since 2001. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I haven't given up on the plastic yet. That uh, you know, I, I've I shoot, I've been shooting a Canic. I just got the new Rival Steel, um, so I, I still plan on shooting my plastic Canic at times as well mm -hmm. as my steel. So Good. I'll go back and forth. Now I don't know if you're into superhero stuff at all. If so, who's your favorite superhero? If not, who's your favorite historical figure? 
Captain America. Okay, I like it. I like it. Not I assume you have a uniform that reminds me of him, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I grew up as this small, skinny little kid, and if you remember the story of Steve Rogers, he was magically transformed. You know, growing up as this small, skinny little guy and reading comic books, all you saw in the back was Charles Atlas and and his dynamic tension to help you become, you know, bigger, better, stronger. Uh, right. And, and so that that that's just one of those that you can relate if yes. you're that person, you know. Well, and, and those ads too, you know, prevent the bully at the beach from kicking sand in your face, you know. Now that, and then they had the sea <laughs> monkeys right beside it, so there was. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers sea monkeys, but <laughs> we we might be dating ourselves too much now, Vince. Hey, someone's gonna Google it, and they'll find out that it just. Tiny little shrimp. I, I actually have in the setup here, when we get into everything, um, a quote from a movie, or not a movie, but a TV series in the 70s that I know you're going to remember. So, I hope so. It'll, it'll be fun when we get there. <laughs> okay. All right. So with that, um, I wanted to get into what we've got going on. And like I was telling you before, we went live. I do have your all of your USPSA information up here. Um, but I did kind of, I, I turned it into more of a bullet format so we can just kind of hit some highlights mm -hmm. and go through some things. So the first thing I want to talk about is the actual bio that you posted. And these are my bullet points from that. So you've been a USPSA member for 21 years. You're an RO and CRO, so that criteria is met. You were the Western Pennsylvania Section Coordinator from 20, or 2008 to 2014, and you're currently the Assistant Section Coordinator, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. But for 35 years, you worked in healthcare, and it looks like, based on your bio, basically at all levels of um, administration and management. Pretty much Be so, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. You also held public office. It looks like you were a member of the Latrobe Development Authority. Mm -hmm. Six-year member of the city council where you served as finance committee chairman. So we'll come back to that one. Um, now, you had deputy mayor and mayor for city of Latrobe. Were you the actual mayor? Correct. Yes. At one point, uh, I was elected um, or selected as deputy mayor when the mayor retired slash resigned then I was tagged for that particular position, had to give up a newly won council seat so that I gave up a four-year term to serve two years as the mayor. Wow, very interesting. And uh, I guess because of that position, you were a board member of the Pennsylvania League of Cities and Municipalities. Correct. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll, we'll go again. You were also... Part of the Rotary Club, Lions Club, Chambers of Commerce, that type of thing. Did all those things in all the different places that I've worked over the years in Oklahoma, Texas, and back here in Pennsylvania. Okay, so you didn't do this just in Pennsylvania. You did it in Oklahoma and Texas as well. I, I started my healthcare career in Oklahoma because I had gone to um, graduate school at the University of Oklahoma. And then got involved in healthcare administration 
as a uh, as a department head at a hospital in Oklahoma City, then was transferred from the company I worked with down to the Houston area, where I went back to school for a master's in healthcare administration, and then simply went on a uh, that deeper path in healthcare administration management, running medical practices, working for large healthcare organizations, and also serving in private practice. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a lot of experience there. Now I want to go back to the six year member of city council where you served as the finance committee chairman. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, basically we had a um, mayor manager form of government in Latrobe. And what that meant was the manager certainly did the day to day, but council had to review and approve and vote on whatever it was that he was planning to go ahead and do. And we were all broken up into different committee memberships. And because I had uh, done a lot of things in finance, uh, as learning from that in the master's in healthcare administration program, it just kind of was a natural because a lot of times in city councils and on boards, you don't have people that are selected or elected that have that experience. So it just makes a lot of sense to defer to that. So in that capacity, I was involved in contract negotiations with the local unions, with um, reviews of pay raises and other things that would go to non-union employees, <clears throat> excuse me, employees. So that was just a part and parcel of, of all of that. Wow. Okay. Um, and I imagine that that well, actually, your entire 35 years of, of work experience is going to come into play if you get elected as the director for Area 8. <clears throat> Just because of all of the comments going on and discussion, that's a better word, discussion going on around the organization's finances. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be quite beneficial. Well, I think that that's what... <clears throat> I think that's what the members need to look at when they're looking at the candidates for the particular positions. Yes, we're all shooters. Yes, we've all done lots of great things with USPSA. We set up matches. Um, I'm not a match director, but I work with match directors. But we all do that. The difference is going to be what do we bring to the board outside of that? Because that's what that's the position we're going after we're not going after being shooters on the board we're going after being individuals that bring some skills and talents that could benefit the organization at that level not at the level of putting on a match and 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 running a match it's it's high it's a higher level than that and um i think our members need to recognize that because it looks like we've really elected a lot of people that don't have any of those skill sets but we know them they're more popular they're this or they're that and in consequence what we get are individuals that really are outside of their depth and i'm not i'm not tooting my horn or anything i just see that some people get promoted above their level of abilities and then they find themselves floundering and they turn to whoever might be the strongest person on the board for advice, for leadership, 
and then you go down this particular path of, of um, what we have right now, what we seem to be having right now. Yeah, that, that uh, I, I agree. I, I would say there is space on the board for shooters, but there needs to be like everything else in life. There has to be a balance, mm -hmm. you know, and if that shooter maybe doesn't necessarily have all of the background experience that you have, but they have the ability to delegate and, and work with people, then, you know, they can balance out that other stuff and, and still be able to accomplish some things. But I, I agree, especially with the way things are right now and the unique challenges the organization is facing right now the more people we have on the board that have that background experience, like, like a Scott Arnberg. I mean, all right. of his experience with the um, nonprofit stuff and, and the um, finance stuff that he's dealt with mm -hmm. will be a benefit, just like your background would be a benefit. Absolutely. So. And if you look at boards that, serve other nonprofits and even for-profit companies, the members of the board add something. There's always in many boards, a CPA who's on the board. There's always an attorney somewhere that's on the board. You always have not countering opinions, but other people that could present a perspective rather than only getting it from one person. And if you don't know what questions to ask, if you don't right. know where to look, then you can easily be told, yes, this is okay. We can do this. And when you get somebody that has been through that, they scratch their head and say, you know what? No, you can't. Right. I mean, it goes that old saying, you don't know what you don't know. So, and if you don't know, then you don't know what questions to even ask. So I, I totally get it. Now, you, you've also hired, trained, and mentored staff, coordinated the startup of medical clinics, providing managerial, technical, and training support. And I thought this was unique as well. As part of that, you've been involved in construction projects and renovations of facilities, dealing with contractors, vendors, suppliers. Mm -hmm. And I see that being unique as well. While we may not be, as an organization, looking to construct a multi-million dollar building, where we're going to house, you know, headquarters and, and have a whole range facility still dealing with, like you said earlier too, contract negotiations with unions and now, you know, other contractors and mm -hmm. vendors being a big one. I see that being a big plus well, as being a board that. member. It, it, um, and again, I, this is part of the reason that I, I want to run for this particular position is because of being able to bring the skill set and that I see is, is lacking there. Um, I, when I went into private practice, there was, there, there's always that saying, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. When I was yeah. in hospitals you, and, and, in, and in other organizations, you only get certain silos that you're exposed to. Well, I'm that gadfly that wants to know why I'm doing something. How does it fit in with the remainder of what's going on. What's the relationship between me and that particular department? And when I went into private practice, I became everything. 
I was administration. I was human resources. I was accounts payable, accounts receivable, property manager, housekeeping, the whole gamut you get exposed wow. to there. So yeah. you, get a, you get an incredible perspective on how that all fits together and how you just don't, well, not my problem. They'll take care of it. But if you don't know what they're supposed to do, then you find yourself between a rock and a hard place. So by getting into an environment like that, I now know what goes on in HR. I now know what goes on in accounts payable, accounts receivable, marketing. So I think that gives me a unique perspective coming in to sit on the board where I could go ahead and ask some questions and bring some ideas up from things that I've experienced over the years. Um, you know, it's not one year of experience repeated 35 times, it's 35 unique years of experience spread out over different states, different organizations, different structures. So I, I, I like to think that I have a particular viewpoint that would be a value. Yeah. And I think that's the key point you just made there. It isn't one year or 35 years of the exact same experience. It's 35 unique years. And now how, how do you see being on like the, um, shoot, where's it at here? The member of city council mm -hmm. and having to deal with all the different. Now, in this case, we're talking actual politics. So, and dealing with all of that, how, what do you think helps you with that? And what do you bring to the USPSA in dealing with the other board members? Well, it, it gives you the opportunity to start to ask questions on city council. Well, we all live together. You know, Latrobe is a town of 8,500 people. It's not 30,000 or 40,000, but still you have to recognize that these are individuals that you know, you may not like, and they may not like you, but right. you're, you're tasked. Your job is to make things better for the community, not better for yourself or better for anybody else, but better for the community. And that translates right over into USPSA because the board is supposed to be speaking for the organization. The board is not USPSA, the members, and the clubs, that's USPSA. And that's what we have to be representing, not looking out for our interest. Area eight just doesn't look out for area eight's interest. It has to look out for the other seven areas as well. And that's where being on council and where you are held publicly accountable for everything you do. You go to the grocery store and if somebody doesn't like the way you voted, they're gonna let you know about it. So you're not, separated from it. You, you, you don't mm -hmm. have distance between yourself and the people that you are representing. You are, you are constantly immersed in their needs, in their troubles, in everything that goes on in their lives, as opposed to right now, it seems we've got a board that's here and there's this disconnect with everybody else that's down there. Uh, talk to the members and the member clubs and it's, what does USPSA do for me? Give me a rule book. That's it. Who puts on the matches? USPSA doesn't. Local clubs do. Right. So there's that huge disconnect. And now, from what I see and hear and read, people are scratching their heads saying, then what are these people doing for me? You know, if they won't share information, if they won't tell us what's going on, do I trust them? And that's one of the things that 
we need to regain is trust in our membership. I agree. And, and I'd like to get your thoughts on something. A um, <clears throat> little bit of a digression, but uh, I think it pertains. And that is, I've always said um, that the further up you go in an organization, the the more you report to the people below you. Uh, and, and let me explain that real quick. I'm sorry, you work for the people below you. You report to the people above you, but you work for the people below you. Absolutely. And, and that's where I feel there's a disconnect right now where the board feels the USPSA members report to them and they work for the board. So there's that, it's almost like the roles have flipped. And I, I feel that we need to get back to the understanding that yes, you're, you're an area director or you're the president. But you literally report to and work for the members of the organization. Exactly. Not Any elected position is that. People are choosing you. You're not choosing them. They are choosing you. So you have the obligation, the duty, and the responsibility to listen to them and not discard them thinking that because, oh, you're just a member and I'm on the board, I know more than you do. You're going to tell me that eight people know more than 38,000? Come on now. So, so we've got to get back to, in, I thought that USPSA was a much better organization before they changed the bylaws and before we had the fiasco of what happened with the former president. That was a failure of leadership on the board's part. Um, and now we've gone, the pendulum has swung totally the opposite other way. of that. Right. And we need to get it back to that, back to the center, much like our country. We need to get back to the center. You know, not too far left, not too far right. This is what the people want. Listen to us, take our opinions, value our opinions, and uh, let's go from there. But the eight people need to recognize that they need more tools to do that. And they need to count on their section coordinators and match directors to really be feeding them the information that they need. Because they can't be everywhere. Uh, 42 clubs in Western Pennsylvania, in, in Area 8. I'm in Western Pennsylvania with 10 of them. The Eastern part of it has basically the remainder of those clubs. So there has to be a way to make sure the communications are solid and sound um, amongst all of those. And that they're all part of the area, not just, this is our biggest clump, so... This is the clump we're going to worry about. You know, empty barrels make the most noise sort of thing. So, all right, maybe you can educate me on something and it'll, it, maybe it'll help with the other members as well. So you were a section coordinator. Is there like a, uh, for, I'm just going to throw this out as a scenario and you can correct it as we go. Like a monthly meeting with all the section coordinators and the area director, like a, to update what's going on or is it just, how does that work? I just catch can when I was section coordinator. Um, I would we would have regular meetings with all of our match directors. In in area eight has three section coordinators. Last I remember. Okay. To take care of all that, and I wouldn't meet with mine well every week when I went to shoot at their clubs, and then we would have our section meetings where we would meet, and if any issues came up that needed to be talked about, we would either try to get a meeting or we started back then doing. Um, phone calls, you know, group 
group chats on a phone call and then some okay. emails as that was coming into vogue. Now with Zoom and uh, Skype, Skype and whatever. Other, now, yeah. now there's a, a much better way. Technology has allowed us to stay in touch better. But um, I never really remember receiving regular update on just general items. If there was anything that uh, I needed to know, my area director was contacting me, or if I had a question, I would contact him. But no specific structure. Um, I do remember as section coordinator that they used to have a section coordinator page where I could log into to get some information, um, forms, and some other things. But I don't believe that exists anymore for being able to communicate in that particular way. But I, I, I think we've allowed technology to help us, but we haven't taken advantage of that help because it's an ideal way to disseminate information. And in this day and age to not be able to get timely information from the board on things that are going on, eh, that's, that's kind of scandalous. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with you on that. I, I think in general, um, there are some organizations out there that utilize technology well, but I think in general, um, everybody's behind the curve in that regard. But I feel like the USPSA is lagging further behind mm -hmm. than most. And like for a couple of years now, I've been saying there should be a repository for every single um, stage plan, whether it's a local or whatever, just allow these match directors just, Hey, you know, like there's a, there's a club about 45 minutes from me. They, once a month, they run a match. There's only four stages. And when you go there, you literally, your squad sets up, there's only two bays. So your squad sets up a stage. The other squad sets up a stage on the other bay. You shoot them, you flip you shoot them, you, you break them down, and then you repeat the process. You build another stage, and then you flip. We're still done in like three to four hours. It's still fairly quick. But that's a lot for that one guy to have to try to coordinate every month all the time. Whereas, you know, if he's running behind one month, he can jump on the match director page mm -hmm. and just go, oh, I need a quick, you know, 20 round count or less stage and filter through and boop. Oh, there's one. Great. And now in 10 minutes, this guy has all four stages created because he's just utilizing ones that are already done. And you're exactly right. I mean, USPSA has something on there and it's got a getting there. Tag. Yeah. But I'd like to see something like what you're talking about expanded so that not only are we looking at, you know, what type of a, uh, is it long, short, medium, start positions, the whole host of things, but also mm -hmm. some um, information that ties it into bank size. Because not every range has the same size base. So wouldn't it be wonderful to have a stage depository that can also be cross-referenced by size? Yeah. So you find one, you think it's great, but then when you drill down to it, you realize, that, oh, that, that's not going to fit in my bay. And, and yeah, I could modify it a little bit, but it's going to lose some of the punch that I have. Technology exists out there for us to be able to do that. 
um, I'd love to see is to have a stage building program on USPSA's webpage that you mm. can slide it over into this particular slot. And if you want to manipulate it around and do anything with it online on that uh, on that program, you can do it at poof, instant stage. You know, yeah. the closest thing is that 3D stage builder, you know, with the little men and the fences right. and all the other things there. But um, you still have to know the size of bay whenever you're designing stages, because what will fit in a small one is lost in a large one. What's great in a large one is lost in a small one. And just being able to pull, oh, there's a stage. I'm going to grab that one because it looks cool. And then you find it doesn't work. You've just wasted your time. So again, from the technology perspective, that I am quite sure exists, that ability to do that, customize a stage um, like you could do with a car. You know, you get your drop downs and yeah. fill everything in. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, I sidetracked this a little bit, but I think it's a good, that's a good conversation still uh, that pertains to all of this. Now, on the website, the first question they, they start with is, why are you seeking to be area director? And I, I created three quick bullet points. One, you feel members should have more involvement and access to information, data, and decision-making rationalization. Two, members seem to be secondary to revenue. And three, clubs question what they are getting for their money. Now, I think A, I agree with all three points, but I think A, you touched on something very important here that I've mentioned before, and that is the decision-making rationalization. Because I think half, I'll say 50% at least of our problems right now within the membership is not knowing how these people are coming to the decisions that they're making. Mm -hmm. And the reason I put that in there was because when I was in office, we had minutes that were maintained of council meetings. And those minutes were not just generic. They voted, they did this. If somebody disagreed, if somebody raised a point, if somebody from the audience was asking a question, those were all incorporated in the meeting, in the minutes. So if um, I change my mind about a vote, I explain that, it goes in the minutes. Mm. Our minutes are... Bullet standard. points. They're, 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 yeah. they're nothing. You know, the minutes are supposed to be legal documents. Just like the bylaws, the minutes tell what happened in that meeting. Read our minutes. You know what happened in that meeting? Look at the time spans between some of the votes and things. What happened in that 15 minutes? What happened in that 30 minutes? What happened here? Who said what? What did Scott Arnsberg say, you know, in discussion about finances? I don't know. It's not in there. And it should be in there. Right. We need to have complete um, transparency where if somebody disagrees with somebody, they state that. Area seven and area three disagreed with area eight. That's knowledge. That lets us know something about what's going on with the people that we've elected to represent us. Not just, you know, we'll get around to telling you or I won't answer your emails or no, can't let you know. That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So is there other than employee 
other than discussion about an employee status, whether it be, you know, um, of a private matter, is there anything that you can think of in the board meeting of the USPSA that should be withheld from the members? Executive sessions have certain privacy. And I, that's Correct. understandable. But everything else, that's open season. That's fair game. I need to know what everybody is talking about. I need to know that discussion revolved around this particular point. You know, not that, oh, there was some disagreement or about limited optics. I want to know what it was. Give me the specifics. Who said it? Who was for it? Who was against it? You know, and who why? raised these particular points and why? You know, yeah. why did we say we're not going to do it six months ago, but now we've decided to do it? What's changed, right? We, yeah, the members, members have the right to know what has changed, particularly if the members were never for it or against it in the first place. Again, it's that transparency, that openness. And much like we were talking about technology, we're live streaming right now. Why can't yes. our USBSA board meetings be live streamed as well? Yes. Then we could see that. Then we could hear it. Then we could watch what goes on there. Then we could be more empowered to be a part of our organization at that level as opposed to, oh, screw them. I'm just going to shoot my local matches and I don't care what they do. Yeah. That doesn't serve USBSA either. No, it does not. I, I totally agree. I mean, I'm even of the mindset that if someone is in an area where, you know, their their internet or their whatever their issue is with being able to live stream, then I'm okay with the organization funding to help get whatever technology they need as an area director to be able to meet the technology requirements mm -hmm. to do these things because it's part of what is necessary. And we don't even have to invest tons in. Look at nope. You, you have your broad your podcast also on YouTube. What's to stop that? Yeah. You you watch um city council meetings and school board meetings that, that have been recorded showing up on YouTube that that outlines disagreements and issues that came up in virtually any school board. Why can't we? Yeah, there's there's no good answer to that, in my opinion. And I, I've I've been of the argument that, you know, my my board of county supervisors, the one I live in and the one I work in both live stream their meetings, mm -hmm. which has political heated discussions, which affects their political career years down the road right. and even sometimes their their personal life. Um, depending on what level you get to in politics. So the, the circumstances are greater there. It's less here. So why are we still not live streaming? I don't want to hear anything like, oh, well, there are private matters. No, I don't want to hear that. You can, there are only certain things that are quote unquote private matters. Mm -hmm. So executive, you know, you can go into executive session for that either at the end or before or whatever. And then the rest is open. All that discussion is open available publicly right. and like you said now we know there's an actual video formatted record out there that says okay i can go to youtube and see the old live streamed board meetings and listen for myself well exactly and look at what just happened um regarding area four some people say there was a vote to extend mel's um 
probation, for lack of a better term. Others say there wasn't. If it was live streamed or if the minutes were presented in detail where you could see who brought that up as a motion to uh, extend it, to do all the other things, then you could go back and we can get away from this. Uh, he said, she said, because there it is, you know. Oh, well, you know, we, we talked about it. Well, okay, but nobody made a motion. You could talk about it till you're blue in the face. But under Robert's rules, unless you make the motion to do it, you can't vote on it. You can't make a decision on anything. So then we have that record to go back on. And it keeps it keeps all of us honest. Because if there's always a record of it, whether it is a detailed written record or it's a filmed record, nobody could go back and say, I didn't say that. Because hey, let's rewind the tape. I got the receipts. Here it is. You did say it. You did right. plan that. You did do that. We're we're too good to not be doing that. I mean, USPSA has great things to offer, and we just need to get our heads out of a certain body part and just start doing them. Yeah, we have a cranial rectal inversion at this moment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, write that down. I gotta use that. <laughs> So uh, for the record, then you are absolutely for live streaming and detailed minutes of all meetings. Absolutely. Okay. Now you, the next portion was top three areas to be addressed. And you had uh, your three categories were communication, finances, and involvement under communication. We'll start there. You felt there should be less of a condescending tone and an area-specific slash focused podcast. So we'll come back to that. Because uh, I feel um, that also what Scott has done with going on podcasts after um, the board meetings to explain what he can, what he's allowed to, uh, has been very beneficial. Because with this stuff, even when I've interviewed you know, Ben or Kyle or anybody from area six running for candidate, I've said, you know, those things still affect us in area eight. They affect people in area four, area one, pick mm -hmm. an area. They all still affect us. So they should be listening and talking to members in those areas. Right. So what is your thought? Now, I think an area specific podcast might be a lot, but what are your what are you thinking when you say an area specific slash focused podcast? Well, people in area eight want to know what's going on in area eight. That's the first thing they're concerned with. So you let's just call it an area podcast in which you talk about area eight and then you talk about everything else that's going on that your peers are doing in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that they're familiar again, familiar with that. Just getting back to your point that what goes on in area eight just doesn't affect area eight you know so right. that, that's what i'm you, you put it more succinctly than i did i was just trying to fit the numbers a number of words into the um <laughs> the, the, the box <laughs> okay now the uspsa does have a podcast do you think you could utilize that for this type of thing or are you still want something because look I, I obviously i do a podcast i'm not i don't consider 
Well, I guess at this point, I consider myself more of a professional than I did two and a half years ago <laughs> when I started. Um, and it takes a lot of time for how I do it. I don't know that that's necessarily how much time it would take if I was just area director and coming on commenting once a month. But my thought when I read that was, you know, there are podcasts out there like Scott's using, you know, him and Joel Park or whomever. He's been on a couple others as well. Um I almost feel like it might be easier. There's a lot of work to be done as an area eight director. So I almost feel like it would take a little bit off the plate to just go this month. I'm going to be on this podcast next month. I'll be on that podcast or, or and whatever a idea to piggyback on existing podcasts out there and, and just have that be a part of their regular presentation. Here's a 15 minute part of the podcast that's devoted to whatever. It's just a concept right now. And, okay. uh, you know, this is, where, this is where it gets into the third step of involving members in things. Of, there are people out there, much like yourself, I'm sure that each area has individuals that are uh, confident and capable in doing those things that could help set it up. It doesn't have to be something that USPSA itself puts together or, or each individual area director puts together. But my God, the talent that we have amongst our members in so many different fields. And we're just letting it lie fallow. I mean, there are so many talented IT people that could be helping us at the area at the area levels and even be helping at the organizational level. And we're not reaching out to them. I, I agree. I've mentioned that. And we'll get there uh, probably with the next uh, no, it's down a little bit, but we'll get there. But one of the things I've been saying is we don't utilize our members enough because there's a lot of talent out there. Yeah. Um, and like what we do use them for is cheap labor for setting up stages, setting up and yeah. working matches. Then we love them to death. But whenever it comes to their opinions and the skills they have, we kind of just keep them at arm's length and say, you know, hey, stay in your lane. And I always say his name wrong. So, Jim, I apologize now. It's either Jim McBurnett or Mac McBurnett. I can, I can never, I don't know why, because the way I naturally want to say his last name is not how he pronounces it. So <laughs> I always say it wrong. So I'll apologize. But I'll use him as an example. It was his company that wired up Cameo. And if you know anything about Cameo, that place is wired for, it is like, technologically advanced like no other range you can you can like simulcast four things from each bay it's it's over wired it's over uh i don't even know how what word i want to use but but it's um anyway there are people like that in the organization that have great talents that we need to be tapping into mm -hmm. well we had a club, it's since closed, McDonald here in Western Pennsylvania. And one of the folks there, this is when we first started using electronic scoring in the nooks. And on his own, Eric Shire wired all the pavilions so that you could constantly update whenever, whenever we were having matches. And we had several Western Pennsylvania sectionals there when I was section coordinator. But uh, he did the wiring. Um, there were a number of other people that helped him. Dave Derisio, uh, uh, Rob Ager. Uh, God, there's just a host of people that were 
involved in helping do that. But they were members of the club. They donated their time, their efforts to do that. USPSA didn't do anything to help that. And that's where we need to start, again, looking at being able to help these clubs do the things that we want them to do. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead to another point, but I want to, I want to, while we're talking about it, do you think, was that, that club going under, was that a local issue or was that something do you think that could have been helped by USPSA? No, that was a local issue. The, um, uh, they found uh, more gas and oil along the land and the club member <laughs> sold. sold that section, which happened to be the pistol bay. So we lost that. Okay. All right. Yeah. The USPSA is not stopping that. No, they're not. Stopping so. that. No, they're not stopping a million dollars going into a club's pocket. Not nope. This time. Or the next one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I get it. Yeah, gone to. Uh, we should be supporting practice score more. I mean, we've we've gone totally to it, and mm -hmm. yet they're just kind of out there, you know. We can make a profit. It's all right. Not-for-profits can make a profit as long as you yes. put the money back into something. Correct. It would be a pretty darn good thing to put some money back into, to develop it, to, to help it do more than um, than they're constrained by doing now. I think it's, what, one or two guys still just doing it? I, I think so. Someone reached out to me to have um, Eugene on, so I I'm probably will at some point, but... Yeah, I think that's um I'm not I'm not sure. I was kind of baffled when I've heard chatter that we need to come up with an alternative in case practice score goes away or something happens to practice score. I thought that was really odd. Not sure what that's that, about. That makes no sense. It's it's become the premier scoring device for the shooting sports. Um we're heavily involved in it. We should be doing something to help it. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I agree. All right. Now, the second one you had was finances, and you felt, again, there should be more transparency and sharing of information. Now, this is where I'm going to go back to with all your time on boards and everything else. Is there anything that you foresee or at the moment, okay, because obviously things are different when you get into position, you sit in that seat and you look at different reports, but is there anything you can that you foresee right now that would preclude the board from sharing financial information with the members? Just the choice of the board to not share it. Okay. Yeah. That's going to be what agenda does each individual have? Uh, you can lump so many things under categories in a financial statement that if you don't have the details, again, the devil's always in the details. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what's in that, if you don't understand the financial policies that the organization may have when it comes to um, reimbursement of expenses or or signing off on bills that come in. Again, there are people out there that can lend their expertise to that. But I remember when I worked in hospitals when I first started, they were that way. There was very little information that hospitals wanted to release to their employees to let them to let them see um, and this was I was in Texas at the time uh, and then they started to do that 
and the employee perception of the hospital, the employee satisfaction rose because now they felt that they were being trusted enough to know what's going on instead of guessing. So how do you stop people from guessing? You give them the facts. You give them yes. the actual information. And all of a sudden, all of that chatter that is negative goes away because now you're being forthright, open and honest with them on where the money's going, what it's going to, if you're getting these grants in, what that money from the grants is going to. So you can see the motion of the dollars going in and out, and it gives them a better understanding of who they're working for, what it is they're working for, and why they're doing it. Yeah, I, I, I feel like, so I've worked for a, a, a hospital for a I think it was like a year, year and a half, whatever it was. So not a long time, but long enough that I get what you're saying. I've also worked for a private doctor's group um, in the training department, but I know what you're saying because when those items are withheld, and that's the word I'll use, and they hear that people got bonuses, but their pay is still being held back, then then they're wondering why are these people getting this and we're not getting anything, you know, but when it's all laid out, then it's like, okay, now I get why this is this and that is that. Okay. And, and people tend to be happy. Just throwing it out there. You, you have to explain to them. You have to give them background information. Um, and that's part of the training. That's part of educating the staff. It's like they've shifted from going with, just telling you what your hourly wage is to showing you your total compensation package. So you have a better understanding of this is how much your healthcare costs. This is how much this is. This is how much that is. So you see that your total package isn't just how much you're making an hour, but right. it is all this other information as well, because you had people leaving to go down the street for 50 cents more an hour. They were giving up all these other perks and benefits. They were just looking at that, 50 cents more an hour. So you explain it to them, you educated them, and now they saw things in a different light. And again, there was more of that um, commitment back to the organization. Agree. <clears throat> uh, your last one was, hold on, I've got to clear my throat. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, your last one was involvement. And I kind of abbreviated it. I put involve the members and their KSAs, their knowledge, skills, and abilities. And this is where I think it just kind of piggybacks on what we were talking about. You know, there are, I know there are CPAs in the membership. I guarantee there are lawyers in the membership. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so you have people with different skill sets that would definitely benefit the organization. Now, not all of them are going to be able to help or be willing to help, but there are some out there that are like, you know what? I've got some extra time. I've been in this. I've been doing this, enjoying it for 10 years. I'll, I'll, I'm more than willing to help out where I can just understand. I, you know, I have still have limited time, but I'll help you out where I can. And I feel like we're not really tapping into that very well. No, and because of technology, we can get them information that they can take care of looking at in their own homes. They don't have to fly anywhere or travel right. anywhere. It's right there for them. A absolutely. Literally. You can say, oh, okay, I'll get you that information. And 30 seconds later, they can pull it up and look mm -hmm. at it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, yeah, I he, also, go ahead. I said, uh, you know, Scott is very talented in, in finance as well. But, 
you know, you're going to have people out there in his section, in his area, that are probably even more talented than he is because they may specialize in something specific. Right. That's where you tap in. Those are the ones you go ahead and bring in. And, and, and Scott thinks that way, and that's good on his part because he yes. met, what you said earlier, he knows what he doesn't know, and he knows what he's not expert at, but you know what? I know somebody who is an expert on it, and we can bring them in and get some feedback and opinion and uh, understanding from that particular person, and we become a better organization for it. Yeah, 100% agree. 100%. I even feel like, so I just interviewed Todd Jarrett for uh, president, and I had a private conversation with someone after they listened to the episode. Um, and one of the things that I mentioned that I, I feel like we're not tapping into are those people who are, I, we're doing it in one way with one shooter, but I feel that one shooter is doing it one, because he was a past president. I'm talking about Phil Strader, mm -hmm. but he's also, um, high up in administration in SIG. Mm -hmm. So he understands the benefit of sponsoring these matches in USPSA and keeping the SIG name out there. But what about people like Todd Jarrett, Nils Jonathan, these guys who are sponsored by big name, uh, or, you know, Max, who's also part of SIG, but Max Michelle, but there are other shooters out there that are high level shooters that are sponsored by other gun manufacturers, JJ and Beretta. Right. I, I feel like we're not tapping into those guys much. I even have Brian Conley down, even though he's not in gun manufacturing, what that guy brings to the USPSA is um, huge. All the stuff he's done. But I feel like we're not tapping into these guys enough either. Like go to Brian and say, hey, Brian, what more do you think we can do with other vendors or other manufacturers of whatever it is you know he he has a special uh, a unique um quality about him but then tap into these other high level shooters that are sponsored shooters dealing with other things and sit down with them and go hey what nils what more do we need to do in uspsa to bring canic on board as another major sponsor mm -hmm or JJ with Beretta or whomever, you know what I mean? Sit down with these guys and use them also as an ambassador for the USPSA with their own sponsored manufacturers. And you ask the right question. Why aren't we? It's right there in front of us. It's a low hanging fruit. My goodness. They're, they're part and parcel of what we do and who we are. And we're just, again, letting them, we're just ignoring them. Yeah, yeah, we'll bring you in, uh, attract people to come and shoot this particular match, but why aren't we doing that? Uh, again, low-hanging fruit. Why work harder than you have to when it takes a phone call? Now, who makes that phone call? Who should be making that phone call? You know, are we so scattered because we have eight people trying to run the organization and not one voice that's leading and doing anything, and consequently... We're just, you know, scattered out. We're, we're not, our, our efforts aren't unified. They get unified whenever they want to ban somebody or they don't like what somebody says. But when it comes down to something like what you've just said, who's, who's leading? Somebody needs to lead. Yeah. I, and I, I picture that as being 
that role being the president. And I don't, I haven't gone to read the bylaws and what um, everybody's roles and responsibilities are close enough. That's my, this is my sick puppy right here. You can see the patch on his skin <laughs> from the EKG electrode. He's lost 30 pounds. He went from 179 to 149. He's not looking good. But anyway, I digress. Nobody cares about that. Um, I do. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, shoot, I totally lost my train of thought now. Oh, uh, I, I, yeah, and I haven't um, read the bylaws close enough to see what the changes were and who can do what. But I feel like that role would be the president to be coordinating that with those individuals and then bring that information back to the board mm -hmm. discuss it as a whole and then go forward or not with whatever his findings are Should i be. still feel like i still feel like he's the face the president is the face and the board is that executive membership you may want to read the bylaws yeah i know <laughs> i need to read them more closely instead of just cursory looking over them all right now, the next one was, um, I skipped over one of them intentionally. Adding members versus, I forget where I pulled this from, but adding members versus adding facilities. Uh, I had a couple of bullet points here. Uh, I, know, I know what it's... We're growing uh, membership, but we're not growing clubs. And Correct. you can't continue to bring is. in thousands of people, for instance, with the same number of clubs you have and still put on a quality product. Um, and it's those clubs that have to put on that quality product. And, you know, their resources get strained in the way of health, in the way of materials. I mean, again, we are a large organization. We should be leveraging what can we do with certain supplies, certain pieces of equipment, um, targets, you know, you've got, and Scott does this one well, he buys Buku targets and then sells them to his member clubs for just a small amount of money. Not all the clubs can do that though. There's no central warehouse, but that's something that, you know, why is club A negotiating with this target manufacturer and club B is having to negotiate with a different one or the same one and the volumes are different. So this one gets a better deal than that club. That again, those, things like that make no sense to me. It, we should be able to, um, it's like going to a match hotel. You know, anybody that's coming in for this thing gets this match hotel rate. That doesn't necessarily happen uh, when it comes to supplies and other equipment and things because you're only going to use 5,000, they're going to use 50,000. So you've got that price differential. USPSA as an organization should be able to negotiate or, or make arrangements with different manufacturers on items that you get this price, whether you're getting 5,000 targets or 50,000. Pieces of steel, very expensive. Small clubs can't buy that many but need them. Larger clubs, have better resources and are able to get better pricing for it. We need to, as an organization, do that to support those clubs. And that in turn will help handle uh, and deal with some of those increases in membership because we don't all like to shoot on 14 and 15 people squads. 
No, that that's not fun. No, and that's what we see in, in a lot of our local matches is that you're, you're getting 12, 14, 15 uh, person squads because so many people want to shoot. Um, and yes, we shoot morning and afternoon, but you arrange to do the afternoon and half the people that shot in the, in the morning don't, don't shoot in the afternoon. And then all of a sudden you've got five or six people that have to tear down six stages. So that drives people away. So there's, there's all these things that are going on. And that's why as part of my commentary in there, we need to be talking more with the uh, match directors and section coordinators on what they see can be done. What, uh, you know, communicating with others outside of our section, outside of our area. What are you guys doing? Our, our match directors shouldn't have to be trying to track people down. Much like the depository of, of stages. That, that stuff should be available for any match director to go to to have information on what other clubs do to handle this problem, that problem, this issue, that issue. So we're not reinventing the wheel. And and for the people listening or, or watching this later, um, the question was, if elected area director, please explain how you will help support the club sections and current members in your area as well as promote USPSA to potential members. And that's what we we're talking about here. Now, I just recorded an episode with Tyler Turner, which will be coming out in the future. And one of the things that we talked about, so spoiler alert, um, is match director burnout. And the fact that what you're saying, us on, it seems like the East Coast has an issue with a crap ton, that's a technical word, of shooters and a limited number of matches. So you get that, as I said to him, you know, my local here fills up in about eight minutes. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. I mean, they can only manage so many right. shooters at one time based on the number of stages. But I, so I had a couple questions for you because you've got way more experience than me um, as possibilities. What about a possible an incentive to offer um, to clubs to have more monthly matches, such as one of my options was Maybe the first month of the match, you have the normal USPSA fees. Additional matches, no fees, or like a set $10 fee for the entire match, something like that. Also, though, what do you, is there a way to maybe an incentive for creating more match directors for like local and local level two type things? Is there a way to help with that? There, there probably is. I'd have to sit down and brainstorm with some some other folks. Um, you know, our clubs have gone to doing uh, incentivizing people to help, not necessarily um, become match directors, but to help on setups, uh, help on teardowns. You know, in discounting fees for them or letting them shoot for free you know, the entire weekend, whenever you set up a match on Saturday uh, for Sunday, you shoot it on Saturday, you can shoot it for free on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon. That's for those people that help. That's a, that's an incentive for them. From the match director perspective, we're seeing more people on some of our clubs getting involved in helping at the match director level, which is going to aid us for that next generation that's coming through on doing things. Um, 
but incentivizing people, absolutely. But that's one of those deals that you have to sit down and see what other people are doing, um, see what works. And maybe we need to start looking at some sort of yearly questionnaire that goes out to our uh, mm -hmm. section coordinators and match directors, uh, asking them these particular questions. When I was active in healthcare, there's a group called Medical Group Management Association. And every year they would send out questionnaires uh, to all the member practices, thousands and thousands of practices. How many doctors do you have? How many extenders? How many staff? How many billers? Um, how many, your, your patient volumes, your, your ratios of staff per provider, just a whole series of questions. And then it, uh, they compile that all and it's a booklet that comes out that is probably 400 pages of the responses to this. And what you get out of that is a notion of what are the best practices, okay? So you have these particular practices that are highly successful financially, and you see that the ratio of their staff to provider is, let's say, 5.5 FTEs. You see these ones that aren't as profitable or as effective, and their ratio is 3.5 FTEs. So mm. you begin to get a notion of best practices, of what is working and what isn't working. And it's all compiled in a document that any member organization can look at and uh, utilize that information. We have that information probably in how many clubs do we have? How many, how many you know, uh, are out there? That, that information is probably there, but it's not compiled in any one spot that it does any value to us. Frankly, who shoots what gun at the Nationals and what shoes they wear and what bullet they shoot doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot to me. It does to our sponsors, I'm sure, but it doesn't right. mean anything to me. But start giving me uh, best practices on how to effectively run a new shooter orientation, how to effectively deal with this particular issue or that particular issue, that has a value. Uh, I agree. And I was scrolling um, like practical shooting analytics. I feel like that guy, with the way he's been able to access information, mm -hmm. uh, like the stuff, and I'll just use just his classifier information. Um is fantastic yes, is. but if he can do that i'm sure he can do other stuff too and i'm sure there are other members jay slater doing what he's doing do too, right well jay the, uh practical shooting analytics there are guys out there that can take this data and then compile it and go okay here area director vince Here's the data. Here's everything you're asking for. Now you sit down with the other board members like, all right, how do we decipher this? All right, this is this. Now you have actionable information, Absolutely. again, that we're not tapping into. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they do it for the love of the sport or they love the yeah. challenge of the, of, the, of the analysis, which is part and parcel of the fun of doing those things anyway. Yeah, Jay's in, in our section here in Western yep. Pennsylvania, and he just does phenomenal information. It's just, I well, just, and when, and when I predict who's going to win, you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, and when I talk to him, you know, he is actually drawing information from different areas that practical shooting analytics is. So between the two of them, 
you know, just those two alone, mm -hmm. they could probably probably draw every single bit of this stuff we're talking about and being able to come and be able to compile it in a way that would be um, digestible. Right. And it's useful information. We just yeah. don't know how deeply we can get into it and what it's really going to tell us. Yeah. And, it, and if it isn't actionable, then it's it's not useful information. Right. It's just but, a hot. Correct. And, and it's just a list of numbers and it doesn't matter. But if mm -hmm. you can format it a proper way and with Jay's um, software background and the way he does his ELO stuff, mm -hmm. or even like, like I even wrote down the practice score thing. If we did invest money in there and became a partner with practice score, then it would make extrapolating that useful data that we need mm -hmm you know, and attaching it to Jay's ELO stuff. Now, what are the, oh my gosh, is, Who knows what it's we endless. Who yeah. Knows what we can learn. Yeah. I mean, it, it's endless, really. Uh, doo -doo -doo. All right. It said, um, I'm skipping the big one for last. Explain your strategy to best represent the members in your area as it relates to your role of area director and member of the board of directors. And this is what I have down as bullet points from what you wrote. Knowledge and experience. So you have knowledge and experience working with boards, large organizations, and groups of individuals, which we've covered, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. You mentioned you like face-to-face -face as much as possible, but mm -hmm. we also know that, look, area eight's a big area. And I've already, I've already um, submitted papers to Congress where we're going to annex West Virginia into Area 8. So, <laughs> uh, but you then you put, you know, utilize technology as, as we know it. And the biggest one here, and I'm not saying anybody else doesn't, but you hit on a key point here. Talk truthfully and honestly about what can and cannot be done. You want to touch on that more? Sure. When I got into politics in Latrobe, there were always people that were saying, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? They should pass a law. They should do this. Well, in Pennsylvania, Latrobe was a borough at the time, and there is a document. There are documents known as the Borough Charter, which is created by the state, and that highlights what you can and cannot do. Basically, for that, for the charter, it's if it's not in there, you can't do it. It's that simple. Okay. Yet everything people were wanting to get done were things that were not in there because they did not understand the charter. And it's much like our bylaws. A lot of folks don't understand our bylaws. And that's our governing document. It's a legal document that says how we are operating this particular organization. And what you can do and what you can't do. Pretty much on there, much like the Latrobe's uh, uh, charter, it's not in here. You can't do it. You know, if it says you do this, that's what you do. You know, we've already gone through only not being only in, in issues that have come up on um, interpretations. Only means only. Then this. And it's the same way with our... Right. With our um, Oscar May. Yeah. And, Sorry. and, and for people listening, um, that may not know this, uh, Pennsylvania is a Commonwealth. 
as is Massachusetts, Virginia, and Kentucky, the only four in the in, in the country. And if I remember correctly, that is the difference between a commonwealth and a state is when the governing body puts down what you can and can't do, that you are limited to that. You are limited to that. Yeah. So that that's what he's um, referring to. Um, but again, I think that the biggest thing is, you know, there are, there are even me, you know, I may throw ideas of, Hey, what about this and that? Well, you know, whether I talk to somebody else or whatever, it's like, mm, you can't do that because of maybe there's a bylaw that restricts it from happening. So we'd have to change a bylaw or that's just not feasible, you know, and it may be, you know, getting someone to sponsor something because there's, they're finding that in their feedback, there just isn't enough um, return on investment for the vendors. Then it's like, okay, then how do we, how do we go about fixing that? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? But it's, it is about being truthful and honest about what you can and can't do. Yeah. And, and nobody wants to be told because nobody wants to be told, well, we just can't do it. Well, why can't we do it? Well, just because, well, explain it to me. That worked when I was eight. That doesn't work when I'm 56. Uh, yeah, really. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, again, that's treating our members with respect, treating, with the intel treating them with the intelligence that they absolutely have. Because I'm probably not the only member of USPSA that's been involved in politics. I'm probably not the only one that's been on a, a board or a commission or done anything else like that. I I'm sure that we have, out of 38,000 people, Statistically, there have to be hundreds. So um, they're used to wanting to know why something can or can't be done. Our obligation, again, I, I, I said it before, obligation, duty, and responsibility is to explain it to them and explain it to them as adults, not in a condescending, um, you must be freaking stupid sort of way, but as an adult and let them ask questions, spend some time with them, because that's what that's what gets lacked lacked that's what is lacking sometimes is <laughs> we don't give them the time you know we're in a hurry but and we just give them this off the cuff and we move on but no if it takes 30 minutes it takes 30 minutes that's what leadership is that's what management's about is spending the time with the people to hear what they have to say listen to what they have to say and then answer them in some way, shape, or form, maybe not right away, because it's okay to say, I don't know. It's yes. okay to say, I'll get back with you, but you've got to get back with them. You've got to be truthful in your commitment and do what you say you're going to do. But I'm sorry, I got a little soapbox there. No, no, I totally agree. Because look, I've been, I've been an, in, an instructor in some shape or format since 1986, okay? And, and that is one of the things that I think finally people who do it realize that I don't know is an acceptable answer mm -hmm. and when, and then say, but let me see what I can find out and I'll get back with you. And that is the key point is then following up with them. Even if it's a week later saying, Hey, I'm still looking into this. I don't have an acceptable answer yet. Okay. That's at least they go, Oh, he hasn't forgotten. He still remembers. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know? All right. Now the big one was, where you where you spent some time writing was the question was after reviewing article 5 bylaw 5.1 please provide an outline of your strategy for i for items i 
one through six. Um, and, you know, there was a financial strategy and, and you basically said that, you know, enlist the assistance of CPU or CPAs uh, for input and advice as well as other people in the membership that may be qualified for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, okay. I, I agree there because, I, I mean, look, even investment strategies, uh, unless you do that professionally, that's a, mm -hmm. uh, even for professionals, it's hit or miss, but it's even more so for those of us who don't do it professionally. Right. Um, membership and recruitment strategies. Is there anything that in particular, you said meet with section coordinators, match directors. Um, you think that's, that's where you would go with that as a board member, just get with all the section and match. I would, I would reach out to them because they're the ones, they're the boots on the ground that see it every day, every match, you know, because I may not shoot every match. I may not make every club match every, uh, every week. So the only way to get that information is to get it from them. Because no area director can physically talk to every single shooting member of every club all the time. So you've right. got to have that conduit. And I think that, again, from a management perspective, you're delegating and involving those individuals who are there all the time, the frontline troops. I could sit somewhere and think up the greatest policies in the world that wouldn't work at a match. But if I went to the if I went went to the match director, he or she would show me why that's not a good policy. So they're the ones that live it, breathe it, eat it, do it. And why not? Again, it, it keeps coming back down to they have the expertise. I don't. And I know what I don't know. And I'm going to go to those individuals that have shown me they do know what to do and how to do it. And have been doing it successfully for years. Now, Vince, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know if you know the answer to, because I surely do not. Okay. Like, I don't know. I'm going to show my ignorance here for a minute. And I say ignorance just because I literally don't know. I don't know where I would go to find out, like, how many shooters there are in Area 8 in particular. How many clubs are there in Area 8 in particular? Do you know the answer to either of those questions? Well, USPSA has it listed as 42 clubs in Area 8. And if you okay. go in, I can't remember where the part is in the uh, in the webpage, but I went to every single area and looked at them. And it's amazing the size of them, the number of clubs, the number of sections. I mean, you know, we've got three section coordinators in Western Pennsylvania you go into some of the others, they've got 16, 18 sections. You know, there's just no, I'm sure there's a rhyme or reason as to why it's there, but is it still that way because that's the way it's always been? And we're not gonna, we're not gonna change anything. I like your idea of, uh, you know, annexing West Virginia in, but. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're only talking 16 or 17 shooters. <laughs> but geographically speaking it makes more sense <laughs> yeah well it's easy to just draw it along state lines but they, yeah you know, just, uh, uh, but it doesn't reflect the reality in western pennsylvania we get as many people coming from ohio and west virginia to shoot our matches as we right. do 
Pennsylvania uh, folk. Well, and, and this is where I was going with this line of questioning. Span of control. Span of control is usually three to seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now my, my big, the thing I'm wondering is, okay, so how many thousands of shooters are in area eight and how should we be breaking down the section coordinators? If I feel like it should be geographically and then, so you want to limit, you don't want a section coordinator that has, let's say out of those 42 clubs, they have 21 of them. Mm-hmm. And then there's four other section coordinators that split up the other 20 clubs, you know, that's still too many clubs for that one section coordinator. Um, because it goes back to what something you said earlier, and that was best practices. Mm-hmm. This is where I feel again, if you look at all, and I'll have to see what I can find out too, because now I'm curious, but looking at all the other sections or our areas and how many sections they have and how they have it broken down. There's got to be a, there's got to be a way to determine what the best practice is for mm-hmm. that as well. There should be. If that means you add, you know, you split those 42 into three sets of 10, for instance, or, or again, you have to look at it geographically. When I was right. section coordinator, um, we had a club as far as far east as Lewistown in Pennsylvania, which is right in the middle of the state but was about three hours from where our other clubs were. Okay. So you have to, you have to take that into consideration that, you know, there's a, there's only so much that that person can go ahead and handle geographically. Uh, right. I can drive there, but you know, that's, there's a half a day right there just in driving to go yeah. to visit that particular club. So yeah, that needs to be looked at. It could be, uh, again, like you said, the best practice, what is, what works best, you know, does 10 work on is it's like prunes is six enough or three enough is six too many sort of deal. Right. Now the marketing strategies that that's interesting. I know we have a, I know Jake, I believe he's the marketing guy. If uh, Jake Martin's at USPSA, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know what any of that strategy is. Again, um, I go back to, are we utilizing some of these top level sponsored shooters to assist in that? Because look, they, they've also been dealing with these gun manufacturers for a, for a time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they may have some insight there as well. Strategies for the format and location of national championships. And I thought the president does primarily putting on the national championships, mm-hmm. correct? Well, that's part of what the board is responsible for is having the national championships. Hmm. The bylaws were changed so that that was a highlight of what it is USPSA is supposed to be doing. Before it was member driven, now it's become more revenue driven. Gotcha. Now you, you put something in here. Interesting. That again is another, I I would be surprised if we didn't have the list. Mm -hmm. And that is one of all of the ranges nationwide that are capable of handling a USPSA nationals level event. Mm -hmm. I think that would be critical. And then now do you, 
do you feel that it should move around nationally or should we keep it centrally located or try to find our own place? What are your thoughts on that? I'd like to see it personally move on a regular basis. Um, I had placed uh, as high senior in production several times in one slots whenever I shot area eight matches. And they were all, the ones that I won were either in Utah or in Las Vegas. Costly to go and spend your, you know, a week there. Now we have it in Ohio, four hours for me. I'm going to be working that match. And that'll be the first nationals I've had a chance to shoot, even though it'll be as a worker. Um, but they've offered it in Frostproof, where I've shot before. Um, having it here uh, in, you know, in Ohio is great at Cardinal. Uh, moving it around, I think, gives more people exposure to it and the opportunity to participate. You can have a great shooter in Delaware, but because the match is going to be in, in, in Utah, it's not feasible for him to go to, but he or she might like to have that opportunity. And, and we should spread the wealth, for lack of a better term. If you're going to centralize it, then central, you, you know, either centralize it in the middle of the country, move headquarters to the middle of the country, or if you build your own facility somewhere, it would have to be centrally located. But if we do build our own facility, then headquarters has to be where that facility is at and it needs to be in a second amendment friendly state with no restrictions on magazine lengths or any of the things that um that are happening in so many of the states that uh well we got washington state that wants to ban assault everything weapons. already done yeah and yet our organization is centered there that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense um colorado we know the issues that were going on with cameo you don't want to go ahead and necessarily uh, locate there um, not until their legislator leg legislature changes their uh, magazine bans and, and issues there you know even though somebody says they're not going to come after you still on the books and if somebody wants to come after you they can um, but again i i just think that it adds to the flavor of uspsa whenever the nationals come to town. It's like the circus coming to town. Everybody wants to go see it. Everybody wants to go see what it's all about. And it generates interest for the local clubs because then we could tap into those range officers because they're closer and save money. You know, you don't have to be bringing people from Phoenix all the time, for instance, to work at nationals in, um, in Ohio. You have people in Pennsylvania, Ohio, all the surrounding states there that can be called upon, which will cut down on the expenses that USPSA has. Now, what are your thoughts on this? As you were, as we were talking, it kind of struck me about moving it around. What, what are your thoughts on the feasibility of something like the Super Bowl? And what I mean is, Oh, that's an interesting idea. You know how they 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 bid, or even Olympics, they these places bid and like, look, this is what we can offer you, and then maybe that's a way for us to not lose as much money, but we're also offering, maybe we do something with the format a little different. I don't know, with something where we're like, okay, we'll offer you, you know, we're bringing in 500 competitors into your economy for a week. 
-hmm. So that's what we're offering to you. What are you offering to us as that local range? Oh yeah, put out a request for proposal, you know, with what we what we're looking for, what we can offer, and shop it around. That might be be being done. I don't know, um, but I think it's everything should be on the table. There's no bad idea, you know. The only bad one is the one you don't offer, and right. why not? Could change something. Who's to say? It you could. Know? Never know. And, and even if happening, and it's not always working, so why not try something different or look at something different? Strategies for the establishment or management of relationship with other organizations, including IPSC. Um, there's been some discussion about, you know, running more IPSC style matches. Mm -hmm. um, but what are your thoughts on something like that? I know that that keeps coming up, but I don't see that many being offered, or at least around our area here, I'm not seeing very many being offered. None. So, yeah. uh, and in the past, people didn't like the notion of the IPSC rules because of the uh, parameters that they would put on, like in production, for instance, five-pound trigger pool, all those other things that, uh, that, that, that they have. Uh, there's never a bad time to reevaluate and look at these things again. Uh, you know, we're seeing other pistol leagues starting to show up. So it might be that we do take a, uh, another look at putting on more Ipsic style matches just to see how people will respond to it. But you've got to put in all that uh, legwork to make sure that the people that are going to be running the match understand the differences between the two shooting sports, even though we're technically IPSC, um, USPSA runs its its matches in different ways or, or has different rules for the different firearms that end up being used. So, you know, I would be, I'd have to go back for a refresher on IPSC rules, specific right. IPSC rules to, to do something like that. Well, and, and my thought here too is, what if we did a, one of the comments that I've been hearing lately too is, especially since World Shoot was just a few months ago, was prepping our World Shoot members better for Ipsic World Shoot. Now, my thought is, what if, I always hear like, oh, our, our bylaws and our rules don't allow for that at, at these matches. But why, why would we restrict ourselves from having a hybrid, a USPSA match with hybrid IPSC slash USPSA rules where you have to, okay, for this IPSC match, now this, you know, in the different areas, so people like Mason Lane who teach, that's their income. Them teaching is their income. So they can't travel around all the time to shoot these different matches where Area 7 and Area 8 are having these you know, once a quarter, they're having a hybrid match where you have to stay within the boundaries. You can't do your IPSC, your normal USPSA run around walls and mm -hmm. do all this weirdness. You have to stay within the boundaries. Your shot numbers are limited, but since this is primarily for those guys who are looking to actually qualify for a world shoot, it gives them the opportunity to shoot their IPSC setup. Mm -hmm. So you will limit the number of shots, you know, 15 rounds in a, in a magazine versus 10 or, or whatever. But 
We're not going to weigh your triggers. We're not going to do this. Bring your normal for the rest of us for, for Dave. Dave's going to show up with his normal carry optic stuff, but I'm going to follow some Ipsic rules where there's, you know, four minute walk through and that's it, or three minute, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. There's, I have to stay within the boundaries or it's a foot fault or whatever. Um, but little things like that to at least maybe start giving these guys who are looking to shoot Ipsic world and be on the team to try to bring back a medal, mm -hmm. give them more opportunity to shoot that. Like, like Nils, when I had him on, he said it had been three years since he had shot that setup. So he wasn't necessarily as prepared as he would have liked to have been. Well, if, if we're going to be sending people, then we should help prepare them. And if a hybrid is something to consider, again, why not? Uh, maybe looking at having mandatory or required Ipsic matches every so often, just for those individuals to be able to to qualify without having to go cross country and, and give up revenue that they get from teaching or anything else. Again, I don't know enough about it, um, but it's certainly a topic of discussion. There's sure. No, absolutely. Again, I, I, I probably would just for grins and giggles, like to shoot a match like that. I'm sure there's a whole group of USPSA shooters that might try to want to do that, even though they're not going to go to the world shoot, but still something different. Sure. Absolutely. The flavor would be different. So mm -hmm. it's interesting. Anything different is interesting. It is. Um, and it, I, again, it gets us to thinking. It gets the brain cells firing off and maybe we find something else out about it. We learn something about it that we could translate into some other arena. But nope. Yeah. The last one you had was review and ratification of NROI policies and procedures. Now, obviously, this has created a lot of discussion lately um, with the Yemen Lin situation. Um, you said you'd be talking to section coordinators or match directors a lot, along with member comments, so that we don't have unintended consequences. You know, whenever... Um, Whenever rule changes were being put, I remember hearing people and, and seeing it posted either on Enos or in other venues where uh, shooters were anticipating some of the things that would happen. And uh, just ignored, just not listened to. And again, that these are the people that are doing this all the time. So why not? give them more input into any changes that come up. You know, uh, we, we have a, you've, I don't know if you've seen the um, uh, online version of the new Front Sight magazine, but there, there are some issues regarding rules and comments about things that, you know, a little, right. little bit of and targetry. Would have, yeah, would have, made a, would, have, would have made a significant difference. The shoulder thing, you know, well, it's okay, your shoulders on the targets can be, closer or further or this or that and you could modify the classifier stage if you need to well, then it's not a classifier stage right if i'm not setting it up exactly like it's being set up anywhere else right i mean you could literally give there's that advantage that we're you know we're not maintaining equity between this club and that club Absolutely. and the classifiers mm -hmm. so yeah I, don't, I didn't understand that but all right, so you said something now <laughs> I'm going to bring up because it just, when when I have conversations with people, they'll say something and all of a sudden, boom, something pops up in my head. 
like a synapse that I've never used in 15 years just fires. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> but you said Enos, and it dawned on me as we're talking technology, how come we don't have a forum on USPSA website that we can all talk to? Why do we have to go to all these other different places to have discussions where it's not necessarily as accessible to board members or employees of USPSA, whereas if we're having that conversation on their website, then they can easily access that information. It's right there. They can pull it out, extrapolate a conversation for further discussion later. Uh, I, I mean, we used to have one years ago, many, many years ago. I, I remember there being for a forum on a USPSA forum and all that stuff just went away. It was really not that active as I recollect, but that was early in my um, time with um, USPSA. Uh, you, you have to have moderators. You have to have some guidelines. You know, there's all that right. you have to have. And Enos um, limits what you could say because of potential liability. So Correct. that's why you've got the moderation that you have there because they wisely don't want to allow it to get into certain areas. So you could have the same thing. You just have to have just as good a group of moderators as they have there. And hopefully your members will um, be polite, be respectful. But I don't know if having one would really draw the same number of interested people that you had on Enos. I don't know. Even Enos, that forum has changed dramatically over the years. Right. It's not as busy and active and exciting as it was uh, years past. Well, I think I think social media has changed that too. People can go on Instagram or their or whatever mm -hmm. and post something and and have a discussion that way quicker than going on. Like I've gone to Enos forums and I'm like, this is busy. There's a, a, you know, you've got to filter through a bunch of stuff. I don't find it as engaging. Right. Um, but my thought was with like the USPSA website, you could break it down into rules, bylaws, matches, what, you know, and have different categories, almost like a Reddit. You know, they have subreddits oh, no. for, for everything. Right. You could just, you know, under the USPSA forums, if you want to talk about, Rules, you go to, you know, that drop down. If you want to talk about nationals, that's another drop down or Ipsic world shoot, like people posting questions like, when are you guys coming out with qualifications for how I'm going to qualify for the next Ipsic pistol, pistol world shoot? Mm -hmm. Well, you could post it there, you know, instead of always, you could send out the email, but you know, sometimes that stuff goes to spam or whatever. But if you post it there with a link, Ah, everybody can go there, click on the link, find out what the qualifications are or how you qualify. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense because a lot of times you'll have a uh, shooter who will send an email to NROI asking a question that there might be a hundred others that have that same question. Mm, in their head. Yeah. So why not have a centralized place where that topic is there and they could go to it instead of having to sift through a rules question on Enos that gets sidetracked and and goes nine thousand different ways to Sunday, um, right. with with other people making comments and then 
they jump in with aspersions and you know you're stupid you're a newbie blah blah blah, blah. <laughs> wait why are you why are you talking about me vince i'm right here <laughs> oh that's yeah, you're hilarious America. you got the outfit brother <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I'm going to get into um, what other areas uh, do you feel need to be addressed? And you said some things that I really like. You said don't overload your plate because I think that's an easy thing to do. That goes to delegation. Look, there's only nine, really, if you include the president. He's a board member. So there's only nine people for, as you stated, 38,000 total members, 20,000 Roughly 20, 21,000 active. That's still a lot of people for nine people. Um, some things aren't broken. Totally agree. Some things just need a little tweaking here or there, some fine tuning. Totally agree. And then you said one step at a time. And that's where I, I have the old saying from Kung Fu, if you remember that <laughs> TV show with David, uh, I almost said Carrington, but that's, I don't think Carity. that's right. Carrington, there you go was have patience grasshopper patience grasshopper yeah and i agree that you can only do you know each one of you if you take one piece that's still only eight things or nine things at one time i i say nine things at one time you know one one thing per person it's going to take time for things to work out and people have to have patience mm -hmm. well that's the that goes right back to why i want to look at including the section coordinators and match directors as part of my management team. You know, there are things that I should be able to delegate to allow them or other interested members to get involved in. So I'm not taking care of everything. And by the same token, trying to present myself as being knowledgeable about all these other things. You know, that, that, that's if, a if you're going to try to run the organization with just Eight or nine people there doing everything, you're doomed for failure. You're going to get mistakes that are going to be made, things that are going to be missed. You've got to involve people that also love the sport, the game, that have expertise that could give you good quality feedback and be able to make decisions off of that. I'm not going to call them your staffers as if you were a senator or a representative, but people that, that have shown that they they do have knowledge in this area. They do have expertise in putting on matches or whatever the particular topic might be so that it isn't all resting on that particular area yeah. director or area directors. And I like how you put it, your management team. I think that's the best way to look at it is you're, you're not a, you're not on an Island, right? You know, you have a huge area in area eight, so you can draw from anybody that can help you. I, I mm -hmm. like that. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you. Um, so that's everything that I had with your candidacy. Was there anything that we didn't touch on that you feel we need to? No, I just like to come back to the reminder that uh, you're electing somebody to be a board member, not to be a fellow shooter or to, you know, to, to worry about the day to day things on the matches. You're looking at somebody who's going to represent you to the to the organization as a whole and will speak for you. you know? yeah, Not a popularity a contest. You're looking at people that have qualifications, skills, and experience 
and let them use it. Couldn't agree more. But I want to end on a personal note. So you put in your additional information, home brewer, pretty, pretty good cook, gardening, enjoy gardening, grilling, cooking outdoors. And, you know, you and my wife have something in common. Looky there. Jill's Brew, welcome right. to the dark side. So she, she does uh, some, on occasion, she'll brew her own beer. Um, she's done a jalapeno and, and she'll take them to some local folks we know who own, own their own breweries and she's gotten a lot of good feedback. Now, how frequently do you brew? I don't brew as frequently now as I did in the past. I had, um, I was brewing 10 gallon batches. Um, oh, wow. Them. You know, I was using the old Pepsi and Coke pin lock, um, kegs. And I have a teaser in the garage that I'd end up with six, seven kegs of different beers, vanilla porters, nice IPAs, a Pilsner with a kick that I pumped up that the ABV was about six and a half percent, some hazy IPAs. Now, I, I know there's li some liability here. So I, I take the, you know. I've worked the Virginia state match for a couple of years. Um, and we'd have the dinner for everybody working the match and people would bring their own stuff mm -hmm. for the meeting or the, for the dinner. But I also feel like there isn't a whole, I'll back up. Cause we're, we're talking about USPSA stuff again. I saw the Ipswich world banquet and I was like, Wow, that is what I would expect to see from a USPS. I mean, a uh, a world shoot banquet type of thing. It was, you know, amazing. I I've been to some USPSA Nationals award ceremonies, and it's about ten percent of what Ipsic World was. Oh, I've heard. But what about like the when we have the Area Eight? match what about is there a way maybe something we could do there to make it more fun more exciting and maybe make it a, a more of an event for the ro dinner well but yeah because you, you really don't get the awards that are going out at the ro dinner you know that's right. only on a friday or a saturday and the matches end on a Sunday. So right. everybody wants to just go after scatter. Uh, yeah. Five days. I know I, I worked the 17 and 18 uh, area eight in Antolani. And at the end of the day, six hour drive, we just wanted to go. Yeah. And I, I get that. Uh, and that's where, you know, I almost feel like it would be nice if the area matches were more centrally located. And, you know, like a lot of states put their uh, capital where it's centrally located. So it's equal for everybody to get to. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that that's always feasible. And moving it around is nice because you get a different flavor. I don't know. For some reason, I was just thinking it, it would be interesting to have more of an event once a year, like an area eight or an area seven or a six or whatever thing where like that's the big event every year that everybody wants to go to because it's a fun match to shoot 
the event afterward is a nice little thing. So maybe the match ends on noon on Sunday instead of six o'clock on Sunday, where you can have that barbecue banquet style gathering. Um, and I, I think there was a match recently that did that. Maybe was it the Kentucky low cap, the bluegrass low cap or something? I don't know, but it's not a bad idea. It, it would be something to to talk to um, for those folks that have put on Area 8 matches in the past. Yeah, the, and Just again, the section the coordinators would be a big... Yeah. Yeah. Get the feedback there. Um, I, I know the uh, last couple that I worked had some great barbecue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. You know, where it's just something like I can't remember for sure. But yeah, yeah, something that you know you wouldn't mind. You know, you could bring your family to and and just enjoy a big after the match. This is the big gathering. We'll give out some awards. We'll just have a good friendly time. Not a bad notion. I I, I feel like we've lost vision of, and you touched on it earlier when we were talking politics and Latrobe, where. When you were on that city council, you know, you guys didn't all see the same way. I mean, you've got every spectrum there, but within USPSA, we're all fairly similar. You know, we might have different ideas on how we reach the end, but we all want to get to that same goal. And I feel like we've kind of lost that feeling that, hey, we're all, we are all, even though we may disagree with certain things. We're all in for the same sport, for the same exact thing. So, and we don't we don't have that camaraderie. Yeah, we are we are unique. There are thirty eight thousand of us that do something that nobody else does. I mean, that you can't help but feel unique that you're one of that group of people that can manage a course of fire and be successful at the end of it, unless you obviously DQ. But um, we, we have lost that. I, it's gotten to where it is just, it's about where you finish, how soon you get out, what you do. There isn't that. It, the big ones aren't like a club match where you hang around after the match is over and you BS and you, you, know, you stop for a beer somewhere and do that. That camaraderie exists at that level. Um, I see it at, our, at, at some level two matches depending on which match it is and where they're at. Uh, haven't gotten it at the level threes recently, unfortunately. But right. again, that's the, the sport is changing, and the focus of the shooters isn't, isn't on the sport and the camaraderie as much as it is about where they place, what they did, what they're going to get. You know, it, it's just more me, me, me. i got to take care of my videos. I've got to go ahead and get these posted. I've got to be right. Instagram famous and put it on there and, and show you all those things. Uh, <laughs> change that, and I don't know whether that is because of uh, newer shooters coming in, the technology that's available for them to do that, which we kind of didn't have, you know, 15 years ago. Where, you know, video yourself? Oh no, my goodness! Yeah. So even 10 years ago, yeah. I mean, 10. it was still a new concept. Yeah. But maybe we start to look at that. Maybe we start to at a at an organizational level, start to put the fun back in it. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the camaraderie of just hanging around and not needing to get the heck out of Dodge so quick because, you know, you've got such a far drive. Again, like with everything, something to think about, something to look at, uh, something to maybe excite our brains that there may be something to do, but 
We don't know what that is just yet. And, and maybe it's not even a match. Maybe it's just once a year. Area 8. And I'm using it because I'm in Area 8. You're running for Area 8 director. There's a gathering. Mm-hmm. On this Saturday, you know, we do whatever and, and we all gather and, and meet and chat and have a barbecue and, you know, have, build that camaraderie. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. One step yeah. at a time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> One step at a time. Patience, grasshopper. Patience. <laughs> well, Vince, that's all I've got. Hand, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've got. I appreciate okay. you coming on and doing this. Okay. Thanks for having me. I had a good time. Awesome. So did I. Take care, sir. Take care. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.